Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Friday, September 23rd, 2022. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, if DAOs are a modern blockchain take on the corporation, I've got a big worrying thing to tell you about them. Apple looks to cozy up to the NFL as Amazon seems to have found immediate success with Thursday Night Football. Fitbit takes a page out of the Oculus playbook post-acquisition. And of course, the weekend long read suggestions. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. The Commodity Futures Trading Commission has fined blockchain protocol B0X and its team $250,000 for illegal off-exchange digital asset trading and has filed a civil action against its successor, the UkiDAO. Now, before your eyes roll back in your head because you're like, Brian, is this another crypto story that's just blah, 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 can't even follow it, whatever. Let me tell you that this is actually a pretty big deal because you know how people form corporations because one of the benefits of corporations is you're shielded from personal legal liability. Well, a DAO is like a corporation on the blockchain, right? But the CFTC has effectively said DAOs are not a way to displace or avoid legal liability. Quoting Robert Bryden on Twitter, Remember when DAO folks were making very poor choices and we were all wondering if every token holder was in an unregistered partnership with joint and severe liability? Well, CFTC appears to think that is how DAOs work too, end quote. Quoting from Coindesk. The order penalizes the protocol and its founders Tom Bean and Kyle Kistner $250,000 for offering illegal off-exchange trading of digital assets, registration violations, and neglecting to adopt a customer ID program required by the Bank Security Act compliance program. The CFTC has simultaneously filed a civil enforcement action charging the Uki DAO, the successor to B0X, with violating the same laws as B0X. It seeks restitution, disgorgement, civil monetary penalties, trading and registration bans, and injunctions against further violations. Commissioner Summer Mersinger opposed the action, however, saying she was disappointed the commission chose to act. Quote, this approach constitutes blatant regulation by enforcement by setting policy based on new definitions and standards never before articulated by the commission or its staff, nor put out for public comment. She said, we cannot arbitrarily decide who is accountable for those violations based on an unsupported legal theory amounting to regulation by enforcement while federal and state policy is developing. Mersinger said in a statement explaining her dissent, end quote. Yeah, if I'm reading this right, the complaint actually seeks to bar all of the token holders in the DAO who voted as a part of the DAO from ever again participating in the commodities market. Folks in crypto are absolutely apoplectic about this. Quoting Jake Chervinsky on Twitter, The CFTC's BZX enforcement action may be the most egregious example of regulation by enforcement in the history of crypto. We've complained at length about the SEC abusing this tactic, but the CFTC has put them to shame. It's deeply disappointing to see the CFTC damage its own reputation like this among those who care about the future of crypto in the United States, especially at a critical moment when it pitches itself in Congress as the right agency to regulate digital commodity trades." Apple has signed a multi-year NFL deal to have Apple Music replace Pepsi as the main sponsor for the Super Bowl halftime show. Sources say the NFL was seeking around $50 million for such a main sponsor slot. But there's much more apparently going on behind the scenes. 
with Apple and the NFL, quoting the New York Times. Becoming the primary sponsor of the Super Bowl halftime show is a departure for Apple. The company has prided itself on marketing its brand differently than consumer goods companies such as Coca-Cola, Budweiser, and McDonald's, which have long histories of supporting sports and cultural events. This all comes as talks between the National Football League and Apple over a package of Sunday football games have dragged as the league and the tech giant have wrangled over pricing, but another deal has been added to the mix, this sponsorship of the Super Bowl halftime show. The NFL has been seeking as much as $2.5 billion for rights to NFL Sunday ticket, about $1 billion more than what it collects from its current provider, DirecTV. As the sides squabble over a rights fee that high, Apple has agreed to be the main sponsor of the Super Bowl halftime show, the league and the company said late Thursday night. They did not disclose the terms of the deal. Last year, the league cut a string of traditional broadcast agreements with CBS, ESPN, Fox, and NBC for its highest-profile games, but it reserved two packages for tech companies that it considered to be the sports programmers of tomorrow. It struck an 11-year, $13 billion deal with Amazon to stream Thursday night games, and it announced that it would sell its Sunday ticket to a streaming service. Though the NFL has discussed Sunday ticket with Google, Amazon, and ESPN, its most extensive negotiations have been with Apple. Executives at both the league and the tech giant have told business partners that they expect to get a deal done, according to the people familiar with the negotiations. But the talks have been complicated by the NFL's decision to sell several assets simultaneously, including Sunday Ticket, the Halftime Show, and NFL media properties such as NFL Network and the Red Zone Channel, end quote. So remember, this all comes, as Nielsen says, Amazon's prime video first Thursday night football game got an average 13.03 million viewers. Amazon actually claims 15.3 million viewers, and that was after they had guaranteed advertisers that the broadcast would receive at least 2.5 million viewers, quoting The Hollywood Reporter. The September 15th contest was up by 47% over Thursday Night Football's opener last season, 8.84 million viewers on NFL Network and digital platforms. Amazon's own metrics, which include more detailed information about viewers watching via Prime Video and across all types of devices, put the audience for Thursday Night Football at 15.3 million. The game also had several alternative streams, including one on Amazon's Twitch platform. The average viewer age for Thursday Night Football was 46, compared to 53 for the first two weeks of games on broadcast and cable outlets. The game's 4.25 rating among adults ages 18 to 34 was the best for any NFL game in the first two weeks of the season, end quote. Also, there is some indication that basically Amazon was able to get 60 to 70 percent of the total broadcast of a traditional NFL game full stop, at least in the year of our Lord 2022. And as someone pointed out on Twitter, getting 60% or more of the audience of a legacy broadcast in your very first try, that's pretty eyebrow-raising good. You got to figure it's only going to go up from here. Google does, well, not Google things this time, but maybe meta things. Fitbit apparently plans to require a Google account for its new devices and features beginning next year. Fitbit account users can keep using their Fitbit accounts at least until early 2025. Quoting 9to5Google. With the launch of Fitbit's latest devices, Fitbit by Google branding was introduced. The Sense2 and Versa2 already have a UI modeled after Wear OS 3, but the integration is getting deeper from 2023 onward when Google accounts will be required to use Fitbit. At the moment, 
Quote, Fitbit continues to provide its products and services separately from Google, and a Fitbit account is required to use the app and devices, smartwatches, fitness trackers, and scale. However, Fitbit will, quote, enable use of Fitbit with a Google account sometime in 2023. Several benefits are being touted, with security being notable for something as sensitive as health and fitness data. Fitbit currently maintains its own login system with two-factor authentication done over SMS. There is also already a sign-in with Google option, and Fitbit removed the Facebook equivalent last year. This change encompasses more than sign-in processes and consolidation to one set of credentials, though. After the change occurs next year, quote, some uses of Fitbit will require a Google account, including to sign up for Fitbit or activate newly released Fitbit devices and features, end quote. The latter is notable in the context of Fitbit working on a premium Wear OS 3 watch. New customers will have to use a Google account from next year on while gating features to the new backend is similar to the Nest app slash account to Google Home transition. Once the change is live, there will be an option to move Fitbit to your Google account, while existing users can continue using their non-Google Fitbit accounts until at least early 2025. However, again, these users won't be able to use new devices or health features until they migrate over. Sometime in 2025, a, quote, Google account will be required to use Fitbit, end quote. More details are coming next year. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse. That laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Time for the weekend long read suggestions. First up, I didn't share with you this week's reviews of the new Apple AirPods because I didn't think there was enough new there to warrant much talking about. But from Bloomberg, a look at how I mentioned yesterday, Apple can really take a niche market and blow it out. How does Apple's success with AirPods give us clues, maybe, to their strategy for the forthcoming VR headset? Quote, While everyone has been yawning over the last few new phones, Apple CEO Tim Cook has quietly created arguably the tech industry's biggest success story of the past decade— 
AirPods. Those weird little ear dongles are both a punchline and everywhere. The latest version, a $249 model slated to hit shelves on September 23rd, made only a brief appearance at the most recent iPhone unveiling. More than anything else Apple sells, however, they illustrate why the company has prospered so much under Cook and why it's unlikely to see real challengers anytime soon. Apple doesn't disclose sales of its headphones. Its quarterly filings lump AirPods in with its watches, home speakers, and other accessories. But outside analysts say it sold 120 million or so pairs just in 2021. IDC and Bloomberg Intelligence estimates suggest that AirPods account for roughly half of sales of what Apple calls wearables, home, and accessories, its fastest-growing line of business. From 2016 to 2021, sales in this category rose by 245% to $38 billion. Piper Sandler, the investment bank, estimates that three in four U.S. teens own AirPods. Apple has set the standard for wireless headphones and turned a free pack-in accessory into a $200 must-buy. Of course, AirPods aren't really a standalone product. They're an extension of Cook's larger project, a mutually dependent ecosystem of hardware, software, and services that keeps customers spending more all the time, end quote. Then the Times has a big look at a lithium mine in Quebec. I've been seeing stories this week suggesting that lithium prices have apparently exploded this year, and this article is a good deep dive into the challenges presented by the underlying materials that will make or break not only the electric car revolution, but the tech industry itself. Quote, Having more mines will also help contain the price of lithium, which has soared five-fold since mid-2021, pushing the cost of electric vehicles so high that they are out of reach for many drivers. The average new electric car in the United States costs about $66,000, just a few thousand dollars short of the median household income last year. Dozens of lithium mines are in various stages of development in Canada and the United States. Canada has made it a mission to become a major source of raw materials and components for electric vehicles, but most of these projects are years away from production. Even if they are able to raise the billions of dollars needed to get going, there is no guarantee they will yield enough lithium to meet the continent's needs." End quote. And our friends at Rest of World have a piece looking at how the cheap clothing revolution known as Shein is leading to an explosion of unauthorized boutiques around the world. Quote, All over Mexico, particularly in working-class areas, entrepreneurs are capitalizing on Shein's cult-like following in the country, despite the company not having any official permanent physical stores. They have built a network of shops dedicated to bulk buying, warehousing, and selling Shein products. By gaming a competitive fast fashion e-commerce industry that has put traditional retailers out of business worldwide, Mexico's Shein boutiques are capitalizing on the lack of trust in digital businesses and low connectivity rates in large parts of the country. Four Shein boutique in-store customers in the states of Puebla and Oaxaca told Rest of World why they prefer the in-store experience, even with the hassle of adding an extra step to an already streamlined delivery service. When in doubt about a particular item, or when having to deal with issues with a purchase, they all preferred to deal with a human rather than a faceless app. End quote. From Bloomberg, since Figma has been all over the news of late, how about a profile of Figma founder Dylan Field, who, did you know this? Quote, Dylan Field dropped out of an Ivy League school in 2012 to take a grant from the billionaire Peter Thiel and start a software company called Figma. A decade later, Field's stake in the company is now worth over $2 billion. This week's sale of Figma to Adobe for $20 billion makes Field, age 30, by far the wealthiest person to go through the Thiel Fellowship. 
The controversial program was designed by the PayPal co-founder to undermine the value of traditional education by encouraging young adults to leave college and start companies with $100,000 grants. Field is a rare example of when a gamble like that pays off, end quote. And finally, from the Wall Street Journal, it's not just me and my 40-year-old ears. It's apparently everyone, even the kids, quote, more viewers especially younger ones, are using tools that transcribe dialogue in the content they're watching online from Netflix movies to TikTok videos. This isn't just about watching Squid Game in Korean with English subtitles. Closed captions, which display text in the same language as the original audio, have been crucial for a long time for many people with hearing loss. They're now a must-have for plenty of people without hearing loss, too, helping them better understand the audio or allowing them to multitask. Recent surveys suggest that younger generations are viewing content with captions on more than older generations, despite reporting fewer hearing problems. In a May survey of about 1,200 Americans, 70% of adult Gen Z respondents, ages 18 to 25, and 53% of millennial respondents, up to the age of 41, said they watch content with text most of the time. That's compared with slightly more than a third of older respondents, according to the report commissioned by language teaching app Preply. I can't think of a time in the past couple of months or years that I haven't had subtitles or captions on, says 23-year-old I.M. Kapaknan, who creates his own comedy videos. While he doesn't have any hearing issues, he says it helps him focus on what's happening on screen, even with the sound on, end quote. Okay, so if it's not just me and my old ears, hey, Hollywood, maybe you really are the problem here. Can we, I don't know, bring dialogue more to the front in basically everything? Okay, the weekend bonus episode this week is another Portfolio Profile episode. Longtime listeners to this show will know that it's been a bit of a bugaboo of mine. Why hasn't AR taken off yet at things like construction sites and manufacturing sites, factories and the like? Seems to be such an obvious use case for this tech. Well, I found a company doing exactly what I always imagined should be happening, especially on construction sites, and they're doing it right now today. Extremely interesting company. I'm interested in the space, of course, because as you know, my wife is an architect. Thanks to the kind words from all of you yesterday about our 10-year wedding anniversary, she surprised me with Hamilton tickets. So I was traipsing through Times Square yesterday for the first time in about five years. She actually works in Times Square because she works primarily on Broadway theaters, but you might know that if you're on TikTok, because a few weeks ago, when she was walking to work, she almost tripped and fell, stepping up onto a curb. A stranger had to catch her to keep her from falling over. And guess what? It turns out some tourist was there capturing the whole thing on video, and they later uploaded it to TikTok. That video has been viewed 7.1 million times, has gotten 700,000 likes, 1,930 comments, and 18,000 bookmarks. So if you've seen that video, yeah, that's her. It's been weird to watch something go viral, especially because, you know, she hasn't been thrilled that it went viral, that so many people have seen this slightly embarrassing moment in her life, but there's nothing she can do about it. And that's the thing that I never really internalized before. The lack of control when things go viral, feeling like this thing is out there in the world about you and there's nothing you can do about it. Funny, I've been trying to make things go viral on purpose for years, but I never thought to just trip on a curb in Times Square. Talk to you on Monday.